Good morning, my name is Will Cody and I am the campus minister for our denomination, the PCA at Austin Peay State University. And about once a month, I get the opportunity and the privilege to preach on these Sunday mornings, Lord's Day mornings. And each time for the next couple months, we'll be in the book of Ruth. We're in Ruth chapter two today. And in case you can't remember Ruth chapter one from a month ago, or maybe you've never read it before, which would be awesome. Glad you're here. Here's a quick recap of what's happened in Ruth chapter one from last time. We'll start chapter two today. Um, our text today, chapter two, starts off with this woman named Naomi. And she lives in ancient Israel. And Naomi and her family, they left their town that they come from of Bethlehem. And they go into this foreign land called Moab. And while they're in Moab, because of this famine that's happened to the land, they're in Moab and Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And then her two sons, Malon and Kilion, they marry these two Moabite women. And then, in the course of time, Naomi's two sons died as well, leaving Naomi and these two daughters-in-law. And when Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem, the famine in Israel is over, she decides to come back to her hometown. And one of her widowed, barren daughters, named Ruth, she clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, take me with you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you, I'm never going to leave you. So Naomi takes Ruth and the two of them go back to Bethlehem. So at the end of chapter one, that's how the end of chapter one ends. And Naomi, at the end of chapter one, she's, at the, she's in the throes of despair. She's in the throes of grief because of the death of her husband, um, her sons, and just the whole calamity that has become her life. And on top of this, Naomi and Ruth, they are living in this ancient patriarchal society. So they are particularly helpless and powerless because they're not attached to any, they have no man in their family at this point. There's no brothers, there's no fathers, there's no husband, there's no sons. And that's where chapter one leaves off. Empty, they have come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's where our story picks up. So let's read the first section of Ruth chapter two. We'll read the first seven verses and then we'll read the rest of it as we go through the text. This is God's holy word. It's for you, it's for his glory, and it is to encourage us. Let's read. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech is Naomi's dead husband. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of God stands forever. Let's ask him for help as we do every time. 
Father, as we open this story and get, come and uh, live in this uh, ancient world for a few minutes, Father, we pray that your word, your good news, your gospel would take hold in our hearts and so that we can go out and be people who trust you and love you and love others. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So when my kids were little, like two or th- little, little, like two or three years old, one of my favorite games to play with my children was hide and seek. And it was my favorite because of course I beat them every time. Uh, but there were also, it was kind of funny how bad they were at hide and seek. So for example, when I was hiding, even though I'd just be hiding behind the door or under the bed or in the closet, they could never find me and I always won. But the best was when they were hiding because when they were hiding, they were terrible at hiding. Uh, maybe you've experienced this with your child or a nephew or a niece or something. Um, even though I've maybe just demonstrated how to hide, <laughs> uh, I would count to 10 and I'd say the obligatory, ready or not, here I come. And as soon as I finished with that little jingle, without fail, they would come running down the hallway or slamming the door open from the closet and yell, here I am, daddy. <laughs> they were just so bad at hide and seek. <laughs> I actually learned doing my counseling program, this has to do with like brain development and that's why they cannot play hide and seek at this age and why they just come out um, when it's time to, be, to hide. And they also just loved, I mean, the, the delight on their, face, on their face at being discovered was something that I always enjoyed. And so I love playing hide and seek with my kids. If you have young kids or nieces or nephews, play hide and seek and see if they do the same thing. They say, here I am, daddy. They're running. Um, our text is a little bit like a game of hide and seek with a two-year-old. But the two-year-old here is the Lord. And just like a two-year-old, he's got his arms open, yelling to Naomi, to Ruth, to Boaz, here I am. And especially to Naomi in this text. That's kind of the center of this text is this person, Naomi. Do you remember how she experiences the Lord in the last chapter? She said, she said literally this. She said that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She said, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So she feels like the Lord has absolutely forsaken her. We're going to see in two places today where the Lord shows up and where he lets his people discover him, where he wants to be discovered as he yells, here I am. Here's our first point. We have two points today, and I'll tell you the second one later, but our first point is that he shows up in your story. He shows up in your life. Look with me in verse one. The chapter opens with this brief introduction of this mysterious man named Boaz. The text says that Boaz is a worthy man, and that means that he's, maybe that means that he's good, but it means that he has statue, stature, he, had, he has wealth, he has privilege, he has power. He's got all these things that Naomi and Ruth absolutely lack. And we learn in this introduction, not only is he a man, a worthy man in this sense, but he's also related to Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. So Naomi's kind of related to this guy. Um, the rabbinic tradition, we don't know if this is for sure, but they say that Boaz is Elimelech's nephew, but we don't know for sure if that's how they're related. But after the short introduction of this man, mysterious man, Boaz, Ruth decides, it seems like they're running out of food or something is going on. She decides it's time for me to go out and work and provide for Naomi. So she goes out to glean in the fields. So she's grieving her husband too, but apparently her commitment to Naomi is driving her to go out 
and take care of what needs to be done. Now, in, you need to know about a little bit about gleaning. Okay? It's kind of interesting, I think. But gleaning, there's these rules about gleaning from the fields in ancient Israel. So if you're a farmer, there are these rules in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy that when you reap the, the crop, when you harvest your field, you're supposed to leave the edges of your field unharvested. You're supposed to leave the fruit on the whatever uh, crop it is. And then when you go through your field and you harvest it, you're not supposed to go back and pick up the stuff that you missed. You're supposed to go through one time and whatever you left there, you're going to leave there. And why are we leaving all these crops on the edges and in the field? It's because this was for the poor. This was for the fatherless. This was for the widow. That way the poor and the powerless could have come and glean and take what's left for themselves to eat. It was like this, it's a brilliant welfare system where the poorest of the poor who had nothing could eat and work and survive. And they also had a lot of dignity because they were actually working as they did this. This is what Ruth goes out to do. She is the poorest of the poor at this point. And as she's gleaning, we're told that she begins to glean in this part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Now, she doesn't know whose field this is. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know who Boaz is. But here's how the author puts it in verse three. In verse three, the author says, and and uh, Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, that is a really interesting phrase for the Bible, if you think about it, right? She just happened to come to this part of the field that belonged to Boaz. I love this part because this is one of the stories, this is the part of the story. You know, Ruth, one of the big things is that God sovereignly supervises and directs all things. And it's almost like the author is winking. He's pointing here and he's kind of winking, like he just happened to come to the part of the field. He's drawing our attention here. And Ruth would have no idea the significance of what's happening. But here's, what's, here's what just happened to happen at this point in time, okay? So because of her happening to come to this part of the field, she and Naomi are going to be taken care of physically from now on. Um, Naomi is going to experience the uh, life-changing blessings because she happened to come to this part of the field. Ruth is going to have a husband and a son because she happened to come to this part of the field. And this son's grandson is going to be King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And then on top of this, David's distant grandson is none other than the Christ, Jesus, who's gonna save the world from I don't know, death. I don't know, the power of Satan. Uh, sin, the guilt and condemnation that we all have racked up, that this one, this Christ, Jesus, is going to save us from all of this. This is what's happening, as, this is what's in the future as, as Ruth just happens to be gleaning in this field. But in the Roman, Ruth had, has no idea what is happening and what the consequences are going to be. She just happens to come to this field. With the author, if you haven't noticed already, the author is saying nothing just happens. Nothing just happens uh, by chance. We have a word for what's on display here. Um, it's called providence. This is God's work of providence. I think I have a slide that has the, we have a, I love a good catechism with a question and an answer. And the question is, what are God's works of providence? It might not have gotten up there, but I might have a slide for it. But if you can't see it, you can at least hear God's works of providence 
are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, and governing of all of his creatures and all of their actions. So he's wisely and powerfully preserving and governing all of his creatures and every single one of their actions. So everything that's made, he preserves it and he governs it and he rules it. Um, What is on display here is that in the extraordinary and in the mundane, all these things of life, God is at work preserving and governing everything that happens. And you cannot see this in the moment. You can't see it in the moment as it's unfolding. But God is working out all things for his glory and his glory is our good. His glory is your good. And he just wants you in the moment to trust him. Uh, Watching movies with my wife is very frustrating. I've learned to live with this, but it's very frustrating, but I've learned to live with it at the same time, okay? Um, Maybe some of y'all, I bet there's some of y'all like my wife out there too. But the issue is she cannot wait to see how a movie turns out. It's like the anxiety gets too much for her. So we'll be watching a movie, and as soon as the tension starts to ramp up just a little bit, all of a sudden, it's like she has something important to do on her phone. Or it's like she needs to send a really important, I'm like, oh, what's going on? And every time I look on her phone, what she's doing as the tension starts to ramp up, and where is she doing? She's looking at IMDb uh, for this movie. She's looking up the plot, and she's going to the end to look up how the movie ends. It's just started. (laughs) And I think, how can you live like this? How can you people live like this? (laughs) The director wrote it this way for us to experience it this way. But I digress. Um, The writer of this story is showing us that we don't need to be anxious about the future or where God has us right now. Things just don't, things don't just happen. God is wisely and powerfully preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. In the moment, you will never realize the plans he is up to. You can only begin, you only begin, we'll never get the full story, maybe, maybe, maybe not even in heaven. We can only begin to discern his plan and purposes only as we look back at what he's done. That's where you can see and hear him with delight, say, I, here I am, look, that was me. That was me, I was there with you. I was powerfully preserving and governing everything that happened. Uh, we sang a song, all my life you have been faithful. That's what this is talking about. All my life you have been faithful. Our job, though, is to be faithful as he works out his plan. Ruth was being faithful in what could feel like this mundane, everyday task of going to work to glean in the fields and just loving her mother-in-law. You can guess God's plan for you today. You can guess how this worship service is gonna end, how your Sunday is gonna end, but you have no idea, and you're probably wrong. I don't know about you, but basically 100% of the time, basically 100% of the time that I try to imagine or predict something in my life, some kind of plan, the Lord has something that is somehow never what I imagined, it's somehow harder, and it's somehow better every time. I never get it right. I never know what's going to happen. When I was in seminary, for the first two semesters when I was in seminary, 2015, uh, my oldest um, child, John, he was one year old at this time, and I had two jobs. So besides, um, we were poor. So besides full-time student and, t- and family man, um, I had two jobs. One, I was the phone receptionist for this ophthalmologist's office by day. And by night, I was a valet at this weird apartment for rich old money people in St. Louis. 
And I was working so much and I was seeing my family so little. And one Saturday night, I got home from ballet, like 11 o'clock, and uh, I was tired, hadn't seen my kids all day. And Jummy and I, I was like, babe, let's pray, this stinks. <laughs> so I prayed and my prayer was this, God, would you please give me a job, a job where I work less and get paid more? That was like my prayer. <laughs> And so the next day, literally the next day, we went to church, it was Sunday morning, went to church, did the mundane thing of just showing up, just showing up at worship, just showing up to life. And I just happened to be in the fellowship hall and for some reason, and one of the assistant pastors came up to me and casually mentioned that there was an internship at this other PCA church, that a paid internship for a youth director. So uh, long story, very short, I applied and I got the position and ended up getting paid a lot more and I'm working a lot less. <laughs> God answered our prayer. And on top of this, I was now in a ministry job, which was all part of my, this is supposed to be my wheelhouse that I was learning how to do things in. And because I had that job, a couple of years later, still in campus ministry, uh, uh, still in, um, I was a, uh, I was still in seminary. I was still doing the youth pastor thing, uh, youth director thing. And I just happened to be at a meeting where this RUF campus minister needed somebody to fill in for him and preaching. And I just happened to be there. And I loved RUF at the time. Never thought I'd work for them and ended up doing that. And then blah, 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 blah. All these other things happened, just happened, just happened. And here I am, here we are, here are the Cody's in Clarksville, all because of this. Now in the moment, and it was hard. This is a hard five years of, this is a hard five years of my life. In the moment, it just felt like, it looked like these things were just happening. Random stuff, all this random stuff. I just happened to be there. But looking back, only in looking back and trusting that he is at work, I can start to see his providence, his love for me and my family on display. All my life, he has been faithful. And isn't it providential that we sang that song today? <laughs> As you look back on your life, can you see God, arms open, delightfully yelling, here I am. I've been here the whole time and I'm here with you right now, no matter what it feels like or what's going on no matter the calamity that might be betaking you right now. And as you, so as we look on his past faithfulness and providence for you, can you trust him right now with whatever is happening, whether it seems evil, calamitous, or good, that he's got you and he's working out all things for his glory and your good? Because you're not going to see it in the moment. Now, this is true that we should be looking back looking around and trusting in his providence for us. Let's use our second point to think about what our response should be. And I'll bring it back around to this providence thing at the end. Because God shows up in your story, in his providence. That's our first point. But God also shows up in his people. That's our second point. Look with me in verse four. Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's field. When behold, oh, it just so happens, uh, here comes Boaz. He's coming out to check on his laborers as they've been working in his fields. He come out of the city of Bethlehem to come out into the fields. And he greets his workers, the Lord be with you. And they answer, the Lord bless you. So this guy, we don't know if he's good or not. It seems like he might be a good guy. This might be a real Yahwist, a real truster in God. And he notices this stranger, Boaz does, notices this stranger out there working in the field. And he asks his supervisor, who is this woman? Who does she belong to? And imagine your Boaz as you're taking in this information, what comes next, starting in verse in six and seven. If you can get it on the screen, the section that has six and seven, if not, it's okay. Imagine your Boaz and you're hearing this, verses six and seven. The supervisor says to Boaz in answer to the question, says, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 
So there's a lot there for Boaz to take in. What's he hearing? First of all, this is, this, this is the mysterious Moabite woman that everybody's been gabbing about in Bethlehem. Just returned with his relative, Naomi. Second of all, he sees her and not Naomi there. So he can deduce that Ruth must be out here working to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Then in verse seven, the supervisor goes on, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. This is where if you were Boaz, your, I can't do it, but your eyebrow would raise like that. Uh, the, supervisor, the supervisor says, she, Ruth, said to me, the supervisor, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, Ruth is doing something here that if I was Boaz, it would cause me to chuckle a little bit. Here's why. There are two kinds of laborers in the fields at this time, okay? There's the reapers, the harvesters, the reapers, right, the workers, and then there's the gleaners on this side. The reapers are the ones who worked for the landowner, for Boaz in this case. They cut the grain and laid it down in bundles, and then usually women would come and they'd stack it into these sheaves and tie it up, and then somebody else would come and take it and take it away to be processed. After they did all of this, that's when the gleaners would come. After all the stuff was carted off, that's when the gleaners, who we talked about earlier, they, that's, that's when they were allowed to come and glean the edges of the field and also to glean what was left from the first the, the time they went through in the harvest. But where is Ruth? She has asked to go where the gleaners were not allowed to go. That's why she's asking. She didn't, if, if, um, if she just came, she wouldn't have to ask because that's what gleaners don't have to ask. They just go to the edges. But she's asked to do something kind of weird. She's asked to go out into the field while they are reaping. And she's going to take the cut grain that's just lying there. And that's what she's taking, the stuff that's laying everywhere on the ground while they're reaping. And they should be gone, but she's coming while they're doing it. And remember, and just remember, she doesn't know that this is Boaz's field. She doesn't know who Boaz is. To her, this is just some random field in Bethlehem. And how does Boaz respond to this crazy response, this crazy request? Okay, let's read verses eight through 16. Um, should have that, yeah, verse eight through 16. Um, how does Boaz respond to this wild request this, that she does not, shouldn't be asking for? It? Oh, where's my one that has the, oh, well, I'll just do it on there. Verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, now, this is his response. He comes to her, he says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. 
and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. So he's telling her, he's telling them, let her go, just take whatever she wants. <laughs> and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. So they're saying, pull some out of the bundle so you just pick it up off the ground and do not rebuke her. Um, so in verses eight through 10, this is how, in the rest of this text, this is how Boaz responds. He promises her physical protection. He makes sure she has water. He gives her food to eat. He loads her up with, and by the end, she has 29 pounds of barley. That's how much barley she has. I can't, it's hard to imagine her being able to carry this. But here's why. Why does he do this to her? He says um, in verse 11, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Why is Boaz being so over the top generous with Ruth? It's because he knows that she's doing all of this out of her tenacious, steadfast love to her mother-in-law. That's what it says there out of this tenacious hesed to her mother-in-law. <laughs> hesed is this word, you might have heard it before. It's kind of the Old Testament equivalent of grace. Hesed, it's, you know, translating it just doesn't do it justice, but steadfast love is what hesed means. It's the big word in the Old Testament. We read it in the call to worship today. Hesed means something like steadfast love. And one commentator who's on this chapter exactly was saying, hesed is when someone cares for you and has freely made it their business to look out for you. That's what hesed is. It's a Hebrew word, and it means basically this. Someone cares for you and has freely made it their business to look out for you. This is God's posture toward his people throughout the whole Old Testament, whole New Testament. Over and over again, this is all over the place. He's made it his business to look out for his people. Um, the best way, though, to understand hesed is through stories. And this story is a great example. Notice what is happening here, okay? Boaz is being provoked to hesed toward Ruth and Naomi because of Ruth's hesed to Naomi. Because in, in response to Ruth's request, Boaz could have just been like, sorry, kid, them's the rules. Or she would have been, scram, get out of here. <laughs> or he could have explained to her, look, look, Ruth, I feel bad for you, but this doesn't make any sense, all right? I'm giving away grain that I have paid to have grown. <laughs> I'm losing twice here, Ruth. Why, I, why would I give you 29 pounds of grain? But who is the woman that Boaz is talking to? This woman that Boaz is apparently all too familiar with and what she's done. He is talking to Ruth, this young woman who has left her homeland. She's left her family. She's left everything to pledge hesed to her despondent, poor, widowed mother-in-law and this God that her mother-in-law worships. Ruth's hesed for Naomi, and she doesn't even realize what, she, what, doesn't even realize what she's doing, right? But is provoking and it is a challenging and it is inspiring Boaz to hesed too. It's inspiring him, challenging him to grow, 
Because up to this point, have you ever thought about this? Up to this point, why hasn't Boaz visited his relative or seen how she's been? He seems to know all about her situation. Maybe he just, give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he just didn't have a chance yet. Or maybe it's awkward of single guy and then this woman. Maybe there's some awkwardness there. But there's a, there's a chance now. And Boaz is going to take it. And because of all this, Ruth gleans all day. Let's read the rest of the, rest of the end of this text. Dang, I keep varying the one. I like having this page that I've been like looking at all week. You know what I'm talking about? Did I put it here? Oh, I'll just read it there. So she gleaned in the field until evening, Ruth did. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's about 29 pounds of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? What have you worked? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this man's name with whom I worked is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's got to change her tune there. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So, and and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So at the end of the day, Ruth comes home with all, these, all this barley. And when Naomi sees, she's jumping around. And the image I have, you guys, have you guys seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? She's like Grandpa Joe jumping out of bed, going crazy, maybe singing a song. Um, and she just can't stop with the questions. And when she hears the name Boaz, it's like the scales fall from her eyes in a sense. Her daughter-in-law left in the morning. She's been gone all day. She's probably been worried sick. And then she comes home with so much barley, she can barely carry it, plus more that's already been cooked. Then, then of all people that she mentions, it's Boaz, her relative. Uh, you remember what she said in the last chapter? I mentioned it at the beginning of this uh, sermon. She said, this is, <laughs> she said um, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. But what does she say in verse 20? She says, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose God's kindness, the Lord, the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's completely changed her tune here. Apparently now she experiences him, the Lord, as this Lord that doesn't forsake the living or the dead, even her husband and her sons. Now, why did she change her tune? What's, what's happened inside of her? She realizes as she begins to look back that all these circumstances weaving around that just happened are actually God at work. And on top of this, this hesed, this steadfast love has infected all, that has infected all of these characters. You know, Ruth showing hesed to her, Ruth's hesed provoking hesed in Boaz, Boaz showing hesed to Ruth and Naomi. This is God delightfully yelling to Naomi, here I am, here I am, Naomi. Maybe you've noticed this. In the book of Ruth, God doesn't speak very much in the book of Ruth. He doesn't reach into the world and part the Red Sea. He doesn't give someone incredible hair and strength and the ability to rip lions in half, uh, to tell impossible, ridiculous riddles. He doesn't make the sun stand still 
in the book of Ruth. In fact, even in the Bible, these moments, um, these eras and moments where God is miraculously at work are very few and far between. Instead, the Lord has given us, the Lord has given Naomi his people. He gives them the role of showing himself to others. We are his conduits. His people are his hands and his mouth and his ears to one another. We meet God in one another as we show and receive hesed to one another and to this world. Naomi comes to remember who the Lord actually is through not only seeing his providence at work, but also in, through meeting him, the Lord, in Ruth and meeting the Lord in Boaz. There are these like uh, job fairs at APSU. I'm using this example at an RUF one time. There are these job fairs that are in APSU. So you go there, you try to, there's all these tables and um, people are trying to offer jobs or get you connected with a job if you're a student. And I like to go to them to just wander around and get all the free stuff that they have on the tables. Uh, but at these job fairs, these companies, they have these representatives that are working for these companies and they're out in front of the tables talking to the students and I don't know what they're talking about. Um, but imagine they have these representatives that come from these companies to be in that APSU to talk to these students. Now imagine that the, the like CDE light band, I don't know, the local internet company, imagine they had a table out there and one of the representatives was named Scott and he was just like hanging out there in front of the table and he was being mean to all the students that passed by. He's being rude to all the students that passed by. I don't know, he's calling them dweebs. He's shoving them into lockers. He's giving them wedgies. Now, because this guy, Scott, he's got CD light band on his shirt. He's got a little name tag and everything. Because he's a representative from CDE light band, what would you learn about the company he works for? It's a place full of bullies, 80s, 80s cliche bullies, apparently, a CDE light band. It's a bad place. Don't go there. It's a bad place. And we know because of the representative that we met at the job fair. But what if you came to a table where the representatives went out of their way to greet you? You could see and feel that they care, not only for you, but you could see them caring for each other. They asked you how your semester was going. They wanted you to join their team not to get points, but they wanted you to join their team because they were motivated by their care and love for you. They know that this is a good place for you. What would you learn about this company? It's a good place. It has good people. The, 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 it must be representing something good. Sign me up for that company. Here's the takeaway. Humans meet God through you and me. Believers meet God through us. Unbelievers meet God through us. Our friends um, our enemies, our classmates, our children, our coworkers, God meets them through me, through you, through the undeserved care and kindness and generosity and commitment that we demonstrate. And who is the one who kicked all of this off in our text? Who's the one who kicked all of this off? The one we should least expect, Ruth. Ruth, the weak one. Ruth, the insignificant one. Ruth, the widow. Ruth, the barren. Ruth, the foreigner. Ruth, the one with the least power in this whole town of Bethlehem. She's the one who's infected, starting to affect this whole town with Hesed. This text calls for those that seem weak 
and insignificant in the world. Maybe your life is so mundane and so boring. Maybe you're stuck home with the kids all morning. Maybe your job is just insignificant little thing and you're an insignificant person at your job. But you are the one that God loves to work through and meet others through, through you. Let me give one brief application here, okay? Um, Just, here's the application, just show up. Just show up. Err on the side of community. Err on that side. If you're gonna make a a wrong decision, make a wrong decision on the side of community and people. Um, If you're wondering if you should do this social thing or not, do it. If you're on the fence wondering if you should have someone over, if you're on the fence wondering if you should invite someone over for a play date, do it. If you're trying to decide whether or not to hang out with this person who's asked you to hang out, do it. Do it. We only represent God to people that we show up for, right? We only show up. The only way, if you don't show up, God does not meet that person. And he shows up for us. He shows up for us in our brothers and sisters. It's this beautiful interdependent thing that's on display here with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. It's interdependence. If God meets us in our story, right? If God meets us in our story, if, we, if he's providentially weaving all things together, then err on the side of the community. Trust that God is going to use you and your story. And you'll be looking back on today as the, as the day that God worked through you. Trust that he's providentially working in all this and that he meets us in each other. So, God says, I'm here, it's me, in our stories. God says, I'm here, it's me, and he meets us in other people. And as we're called to do this, we can only do this as we realize that he's got us. Boaz tells Ruth, I think it's one of the biggest uh, verses in this text, but he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's only reminding Ruth what she already knows. She's, maybe she's coming to know it more and more. But like a baby bird, she's come to take refuge under God's wings. And we can only do like Ruth. We can only do hesed like Ruth as much as we know that God has, has done hesed to us. That he's, that he's cared for us. We don't have to, you know, Ruth's, because of Ruth's hesed, it just so happens that a thousand years later, Jesus was born because of what Ruth did that day. This is the ultimate way that God showed up and said, Jesus is the ultimate way that God showed up and said, here I am, when he came down to earth as a baby. And he was responded to by the world rejecting him and hating him. And instead of giving us the justice of condemnation, he showed the world unfailing hesed. Um, We can look back on our lives and we can see his providential care for us, we can meet him in others and experience his love there, but where we meet him in the apex par excellence way is in his son. The ultimate way that we know that, we can, that he is taking care of us and we can trust him in these moments, we can trust him as we move toward other people, is to know that God cares for you and has freely made it his business to look out for you when you didn't deserve it. It's God caring for us to the point that Jesus dies in our place on the cross for our sins. That is the length that he went to love us. And in response, this week, if he's done all this for us, let's draw on this steadfast love to trust that he cares for us in whatever happens. 
and let's draw in his steadfast love to people who don't deserve it. Like me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text, which is a beautiful picture of your faithful, steadfast love to your people, through people. We pray this week you would remind us that everything works out for your good, for your glory and our good. And we pray you would help us to err on the side of community. Because we are a gift. You made us a gift to other people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.